You're listening to Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar for your weekly football news, for all of your football views, and yes, that football banter. One a Tottenham supporter, the other an Arsenal supporter. All here on Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. Hello and welcome to yet another edition of Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar Football from Monocles to Man Buns. I'm Chris Carl. Steve Kenton isn't here. Uh, he's still making his way back from Baku following the Europa League final in which his team Arsenal lost. He was um, stopping off in Kiev checking out a marquee signing for Arsenal, a 33-year-old in the third division of the Ukrainian League. So in place of uh, Steve Kenton, I've got our very special guest, Jeff Saunders. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Chris. Good to be here. Excellent. Now then, we've got a lot to talk about since uh, last week. Frank Lampard has signed for Chelsea. Yeah. We advised him not to in our last episode, but he well, took, took no heed. Yeah, but it does appear that, that he did take one piece of our advice. We said he has to get guarantees from Abramovich that he won't be judged on his first two years, since they'll be going without any players in the in the transfer windows. Well, apparently he got one year. So. Yeah, but will Abramovich stick to that? Well, uh, you know, it is Chelsea, and, and Chelsea have a history of buying these, these young players and sending them out on loan. You know, they have 33 young players mm. out on loan. So if he doesn't succeed as Chelsea manager, we'll probably expect to see him be loaned to Vitesse Arnhem as their manager. Yeah, I mean, they've got more loans out than Wonga, yeah. haven't they, really, Chelsea? But we will have a look at uh, the Chelsea team, what Lampard can do with it, and what, what the Chelsea fans can expect from Frank Lampard. But going the other way, taking over the club formerly known as Frank Lampard's Derby County. Tell us a little bit about the new manager there, because uh, there's a little bit of doubt uh, into his abilities. There does seem to be. I mean, it's, it's Philip Koku, who is quite brilliant midfielder for for Dutch sides and and also for Barcelona, where he's he's most famous. Yeah, he he was he took the job as manager of PSV Eindhoven, won the, the cup in his first year, then he won the league three times at a time when Ajax were rebuilding. So. Basically, if, if Ajax don't win the Dutch league, then PSV Eindhoven do, because they've got all the money. They've got, they're the sports team of Philips, right. the electronics company. So they've got bags of money. But he won the league three times, so he, so he does have a, a track record. However, there are quite a few Dutch people bombarding the internet saying, yeah, but it's the most, three most boring years we've had at PSV Eindhoven. Mm. So taken over from Lampard, who, who, who turned Derby County around? Granted, they, you know, they were six when he went there, six when he when he left. But he did develop these young players, and they were playing much more attractive football. And the Derby fans loved him. To come to a sort of Jose Mourinho light, maybe is mm. possibly not not what Derby County are after. But it seems to be a creative creative appointment. I mean. You know, nobody in front was or up front was thinking about Koku as a as a possible. So you know, fair play to them. It it, it could well work. No, we shall see uh, what happens there. But an, un an unknown factor, really, Koku. Very much so. Yeah. Uh, as is uh, Frank Lampard to Chelsea. I mean, in a way, it's a no-brainer because he's a big fan uh, and a big you know fan favourite yeah. at Chelsea. Um, you know, the a Chelsea legend to most and many. Yes. Um, he came out this week and, you know, in his press conference and said, I don't want to be judged on my playing days. That's got nothing to do with it. And what I did here as a player will very soon be forgotten if things start to get tough. Well, I mean, it's very realistic of him. And, and, and what a change. I mean, contrast that to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who in those first 13 weeks at Manchester United, all he ever talked about was what I did with Man United, what Man United did in the past. And Lampard is saying, look, what happened in the past doesn't matter. I'll be judged on what happens today and, and tomorrow. 
and for, for that he's being very realistic so no, I wish I wish him luck I, I still think it's a mistake he should have I think he should have stayed at Derby got them promoted because the reality is that the Chelsea job will become available in two years anyway it always yeah. does yeah, whether it was him that leaves or him that comes in. Yeah. 14 months in total at Derby. Obviously, that includes pre-season yeah. and post-season, I suppose. So, one full season, that's all he's had. So little so little experience to go to such a, let's say, a big club. They are third. They were third in the league. They won the Europa League over, you know, under Abramovich's tenureship. They've won the league several times. They've won many, many trophies. Mm. They are a big club. They are a very big club, but I think an awful, an awful lot of football in the dressing room is about show us your medals, and he can. So, mm. yeah. you know, they, they, you know, the players are going to buy into anything he says, and it could well work if he does develop these young players that Chelsea have got a lot of, and some of whom played under him at Derby. Then it might well work. Who knows? Who are they competing with for the, that fourth spot in, in you know, Champions League spot? Who are they competing with? Arsenal? Well, you're having a laugh. Manchester United, <laughs> they're going to be competing in the Everton Cup. Yeah. So, you know, the core of that team is still a very, very good team. Well, Pulisic comes in to replace Hazard. They, they've signed Kovacevic, which makes no sense to me at all. I, mean, I, I don't know what he does. They, they play with 10 men whenever they put him on the pitch. So, yeah. uh, to me, it's a nonsense. But the core of that team is a very good team. They're very, you know, they're experienced professionals. They know what they're doing. So, in a sense, he's, he's probably got to screw it up, really. Yeah, I mean, he's got the advantage, if you want to call it an advantage, of there being no transfers available. So that's always something they can look at and say, well, his hands were tied. They have lost Hazard. I was concerned, I suppose, that they would struggle this season. But you've pointed out that who who, who are they competing at? Liverpool and Manchester City, obviously, first they're, and second. They're the top two, yeah. No Tot Tottenham, you know, made a couple of good signings already. Yeah. So they're going to be competing to for, top, for top four. That leaves one space available to Chelsea, Arsenal, yes. Man United. As you say, Arsenal, Man United, not ready for top four. May, maybe maybe Wolves. Or maybe even Wolves. But but not Everton. Not <laughs> Everton, no. We did meet a fan, didn't we, of Everton, who told us that uh, a couple of weeks ago that uh, Everton would be a definite top four shoe in this season because uh, they'd signed a player that had been playing for them. Andre Gomez, yeah. Gomez, yeah. yeah. They signed him, but he was already playing last season. Yeah, he, he kept... He, we tried to say, but you, you were... 17 points behind Tottenham. How are you going to make up 17 points? Oh, we, you know, we signed Gomez. Uh, yeah, but he played for you all last season. <laughs> so how is that a change? It's not going to change. So Everton are not going to be competing no, for top Wolves four. No, but Wolves might. Wolves might. Wolves might. They're going to struggle a little bit game-wise because they're going to be playing in the Europa League come but in the next few weeks. But that might that might make it a bit, bit difficult for them. But they are a very good team. So well, that, uh, that's a competition. Chelsea could still and probably still will finish top four then. I I suspect they will, and as, as far as Wolves go, if they, if they treat the early stages of the Europa League as pre-season friendlies, not not caring whether they actually win them or not, then they've almost got nothing to lose, haven't they? Yeah, I mean Burnley took it very very seriously, didn't yeah, they? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Um, and they tried to push through and, and get through as many rounds as they could, and that did kind of affect them later on in the season. Well, yeah, there is another big big difference between Wolves and Burnley. The Wolves have got this this deal with Jorge Mendes to find them players from Portugal and Spain and South America. So their pool of players is much bigger than Burnley's, which is, you know, Burnley don't have a lot of money. Yeah. They have a small squad. And in that small squad, they're, you know, they really do have a, a first 11 and some others. Yeah, so we're, we're looking, 
we're looking at Wolves being stronger than Burnley, and, and I think, oh yeah, yeah, pushing for fourth or fifth possibly. I think, I think so, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, well, let's uh, let's just move on from that. That's sort of a natural progression. We were talking about Cocker and and what he's going to be bringing to Derby. Fans don't like winning ugly one nil, do they? They want to no. see entertainment. They do. You know, with the Mourinho years at Chelsea, Allardyce at your team, West Ham. I mean, mm. talk us through that a little bit with West Ham. Traditionally, and I know it's something West Ham fans do like to bang on about, playing the West Ham way. But what is that and what was the difference and why did well, it... Well, I mean, th- th- this West Ham way in the academy, it goes back to when Ron Greenwood uh, went to West Ham as manager. He, he came from Arsenal, where he was a centre-half and then, then he did his coaching at Arsenal. And he, in his interview with the, with the directors at West Ham, he said, look, forget about winning the league. Our pitch is too small, which was true. Upton Park's pitch was much too small to win the league. So... If we're not going to win the league, what do we have to do to keep, keep fans coming every other week? We've got to play really good football. And so it was a, a really conscious decision to do that. And he did it. And then maybe he just got lucky with the, the youth team players who came through. Bobby Moore, Jeff Hurst, Martin Peters and, and, and a few others. So there is this history of, of attractive attacking football. And to go to someone like Allardyce, who's... I mean, to be fair, Allardyce is not as bad as people paint him out to be. But it's not what West Ham fans want to see. No. You know, they want to see the ball on the ground, passed quickly. They want to see good wingers, you know, attackers taking on defenders. And no, we're not going to win the league. We're probably not going to make top seven. But it's going to be attractive to watch and you're going to keep coming back. Yeah, you know, I often wondered, you know, watching teams like, you know, in the last 20 years, you know, when teams have gone on and won the league, as, as Chelsea did, and Arsenal have mm. been known, boring Arsenal, um, you know, what it's like to watch a team, your team, win 1-0 every week. Well, uh, I mean, it can be quite boring and, and you know, well, exactly. predictable. And, you know, one of my, the first proper match that I ever went to was was Arsenal against Sunderland, which was a 1-0 win to, to Arsenal. And it was actually, if, if you watch that um, that film about the, the boy who's an Arsenal fan, I can't remember who it was, Hornby, Nick Hornby. Yeah, Nick Hornby film, book, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He mentions this match as the following one that he went to. That's the first match I ever went to. And he had 50,000 people in Highbury slagging off their own team. And that's, <laughs> you know, and, and just to me, I always thought, well, that's the result of this boring football. They've got nothing, nothing attractive to focus on and be happy about. So they slag off John Samuels, who was quite a, quite a very, you know, quite a brilliant inside forward actually but yeah. but the Arsenal fans didn't like him yeah I mean that's that's part of the beauty of football though isn't it oh, yeah. um, you know yeah. the, the unpredictability about, uh, predictability about it uh, before we move on just a quick shout out big thanks to Al Bar for letting us record here in the El Zocco Centre Cala Honda down here on Acosta del Sol big thanks to Stuart Hill Exclusive Wines you can find them at stuarthilluk.com they provide distributors with fine wines organic cheeses and teas and of course um, exclusive cigars and you can find more about them on that website stuarthilluk.com thanks to Taxi Point and my taxi as well for their support. Before we move on, Jeff, you've got a trivia question for us that oh, we're yeah. going to announce at the the answer at the end of the show. Right. Okay. In the the Africa Cup of Nations is is going on at the moment, and in the match between Mali and Mauritania, the first goal was scored by Adam Traore in the 55th minute. Then he was substituted. The fourth goal in their in Mali's 4-1 win was also scored by Adam Traore. So how was that possible? It's a Twilight Zone question for you there. Mm. How did that happen? And uh, Jeff will give you the answer at the end of the show. Let's move on. We talk about fans wanting to see attractive football. You want the unpredictability, which is one yeah. of the beauties of being a Tottenham fan, I have to say. Um, you never know what's going to happen. Mm. 
Yes. <laughs> go on, I go think on. we do. <laughs> I think we do. Yeah. I, think, well, it's I got, think we know they're going to do a Spurs. At the end. It's all going to go wrong yeah, yeah. at some point, yes. It's just, I think it's the anticipation of when will it be. Well, exactly. well, it's like they, balancing on the edge of a cliff wondering when you're going to fall. Well, that's it. And, and as they say, it's the hope that kills you. It is the hope, yeah. I can, I can do with the depression and the dis- yeah. disappointment. It's the hope that gets you, isn't it? Yeah. But fans pay a lot of money. Now, you've got some interesting sort of well, comparisons yeah. about price rises since the Premier League began. I don't know why, but I, ju- I just started to, to, to look at it. Um, since the Premier League began, the, the retail price index, in other words, how much prices have gone up on average, prices have gone up 64% Okay, since the Premier League started. Surprised me it was that low, but we've right. had a long period of low inflation. The value of gold has gone up 400%. Right. So why didn't I get into gold in <laughs> 1992? But no, 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 that's another one. Oil. Oil has gone up 400%. Mm-hmm. Do you want to have a guess how much English Premier League ticket prices have gone up in that period? Well, you see, this is the thing. You're talking about sort of things that people trade on multi-million platforms, and then you're talking about how much a working man or working woman yeah. has to pay for a ticket. So gold's gone up, what was it, 400%? 400%. Gold's gone up 400%. And the RPI has gone up 64%. Right, so... Right. English Premier League ticket prices have gone up 600%. That's absolutely scandalous. 50% more than gold in that period. So when they say, you know, can you can't... They're worth more than gold, these tickets. They really are. Well, they really are, yeah. And, you know, it's okay for, you know, if you assume your your average fan is some young guy with a a good job, that's fine. But what the the fans used to be, it used to be working men taking their kids. Yeah, working class game. Yeah. Now, if it's 80 quid a ticket and you've got to pay 80 quid for your son as well and hot dogs and a program and and you've got to get there. Got to get and transport in, in London and well, anywhere in the UK is horrendously expensive. How do people afford it? I mean, yes, eight, 80 pounds, 80 pounds for one ticket. There's two of you, even to the kids' concession. Let's say it's half price. That's 120. Two of you to get across London. That takes it to what 140. Yeah. Plus your hot dog and your beer and your Coca-Cola. You're talking the best part of 200 pounds. By the time you put a scarf on a program. So it's 100 quid a week during the, the parking fine. Yeah, <laughs> hundred quid a week during the football season, basically. That's because um, yeah, you're not going to go to every away game, are you? I suppose. No. But that's a hundred. That's whatever that is. That's three thousand eight hundred pounds. Yeah, you're talking about four, yeah. four grand. You've got to find so at you've least. Got, what, so you've got to earn six thousand <laughs> to, to watch your team to cover it. Yeah. And who earns that kind of money? You know, if you live in London with London waiting and everything, your, your wages obviously are equivalent to, you know, the rent prices and everything. But I mean. If you're living in Sunderland or Birmingham or wherever it happens to be, or Manchester, it's still the same, isn't it? It's still oh, relatively. Yeah. Yeah. How do you find £100 a week out of an average... What is an average salary? salary? I mean, what, 500, £400 20, a week? 500 quid a week, yeah. So you're talking 20% of your salary going on an hour and a half dubious entertainment. Well, it's about 25% after tax and NI because the, the government want their share as well, Oh, yeah, they? of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as we know, you know, the ball actually spends more time out of play than it does in. So you're probably getting a good 48 minutes entertainment for that money. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it, it is, I mean, we know that, you know, 65 million for a midfielder from Lyon for Tottenham, a lot of money. Yeah. Well, you know, a record for Tottenham. We know that the prices of players um, are skyrocketing. We know the stadium cost a billion. But surely, and they don't make the money from the fans, though. The clubs no. don't make the money from the fans. It's a very small part of their income, yeah. It really is. I've so had why, don't, why don't they make it affordable? 
But it's, that was exactly going to be my point. I actually discussed this very topic with um, Simon Jordan, the ex-Crystal oh, Palace yeah. owner, and he said that very often people would come to him and say, this is our club. Uh, and he would say, it's not, though. It belongs to me. Or it belongs, you know, Manchester yeah. United belongs to the Glazers. It's not your club. It's a business. And I can do with it, or they can do with it what they like. It's not your club. However, and, it, and the point being that, they, he said, I don't make the money from the ticket prices. You paying your 50 quid to come and see Palace against Huddersfield is not what's paying the players' wages. It's got nothing to do with that. And I think possibly the fans have got forgotten along the way because of the TV money. Well, yeah, but, but take Simon Jordan's argument. Then you, you, you turn it around on him and say, well, OK, if it, isn't, if it isn't the fan income, the ticket income, which is paying the players, why don't you make it affordable for the fans then? Well, yes, exactly. Because yeah. you, what, you, what are you losing? You're losing relatively very little. So yeah. if, if, if you're getting you know, 7%, 8% of your income is, is ticket revenue, which is w- what it is, hmm. why not make it 6% and you know, just make it affordable? Look at, look at Borussia Dortmund and that fantastic stadium with that wall oh, yeah. of yellow. They're standing, those people. They're yeah, standing. Incredible sight, yes. Yeah, and they're paying 15 or 20 euros to get in. 15 euros to get I mean, yeah. you're talking about a you know, Champions League team here. Yeah, exactly. You know, a very, very good one. Um, and 15, 20 euros to get, that seems fair. I mean, if you're getting... Because, we, you know, we, obviously there's season tickets and all that kind of thing. But you do see uh, empty seats at the top yes. four, top six. You do see empty seats. Yeah. Manchester United taking on Wolverhampton or whatever. Empty seats. Now you're a businessman. I'm not, but surely if you if you cut the price by a third, you'd get a third more people, or whatever it is the calculation. More people would turn up, and it would. You've still got to steward it. You've still got to have the lights on, whether you've got ten whether people you, or exactly. fifteen people yeah. there. Yeah. It's not going to cost you any more to have more people there. No, it, uh, I mean, it's it's a nonsense to me, and they're just ripping off the fans. Yeah, I think because it's, it's getting the last single dregs out of people. When it's not necessary. And, and there is one other thing, that when people complain about the lack of atmosphere at Arsenal, well, <laughs> you know, do, do middle-class men earning 100 grand, 100 grand a year, do they chant and sing? No, of course I not. I don't no. think so. No, no, no. no I, I, only at their Mason's Lodge. Yes. They're probably chanting yeah. there. Yeah. All right, we'll move on. But that is, that is our complaint. Bring the ticket prices down. Create a better atmosphere. It's not going to cost the club anything, is it, in well, the long run? relatively, it's not. Relatively, yeah. No. Let's move on. I've just a topic um, that I wanted to bring up, uh, the Women's World Cup. Mm. Uh, a lot of people saying, of course, men, uh, that not interested in it. It's, it's boring. It's irrelevant. The semi-final, USA against England, which England sadly lost. Uh, we'll talk about why in a moment. Nearly 12 million people in Britain watched yeah. that. The highest ever... I mean, that just, just broke all records. Nearly 12 million. Now, there's 66 around there, million people in the UK. 12 million of them watched that final. Yeah. That's an amazing. incredible yeah. statistic. Well done to you know, Phil Neville and the Lionesses for getting as far as they did. They had a goal disallowed via VAR. Yeah, for offside. Uh, for yeah. offside. It was a toe offside, wasn't it? I think, or a boot offside. Yeah, that just shows the nonsense of the offside law as it stands at the moment. Well, that's what I want to discuss. But before we get to that, because it applies to men's professional football as well as women's, obviously. They then had a penalty, which I don't think was a penalty anyway, actually, that was saved. And America went on to win 2-1. Before we go back to VAR, what do you make of the uh, American players' goal celebration where she mimicked drinking a cup of tea? I thought that was outrageous. I mean, celebration is one thing, but insulting and rubbing the nose of your opponents in it is an entirely different thing. Right. That was not a celebration. That was a calculated insult. She practiced oh, to yeah, make that insult. Yes, I it think wasn't. it's outrageous. 
It wasn't spur of the moment, was no. it? No, no. I mean, she made up something uh, that it was something to do with that's the tea, which means that's the ticket, or no. I don't know. But I nonsense. Th- that's covering a uh, happening that that close to Independence Day and the Boston Tea Party yeah. and everything. Everybody knew what that was about. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're not going to go into the history of British colonialism. Um, possibly we deserve a little bit of a snubbing. Um, but however, it, it's a sporting, it's a sporting in- occasion. And yeah, rubbing the opponent's nose in it, you, you felt that was no. a little bit. No, it's, it was just an insult. Why, why, why insult the, the opponents? I mean, why? It's so a do you, do you, you see, don't do it. Do you see a difference from when Deli Ali, for example, cups his ear to the, uh, cups his hand behind his ear to the Arsenal fans when he scores as if to say, you're not singing now. That's different from yes. Mim picking a cup of tea because, I think that's because of the implications of it. Yeah. yeah. Because his, his is a response to something that's happened. Happened on the pitch. That's so more of an emotional yes. thing. And there, a, was no, there was no, she wasn't responding to anything. Right. She, she decided that. to do it before. She practiced it. And and it was just an insult, and there was no no reason no for, need it. for it in sport no. or or anywhere. No. All right, let's just go back to the uh, VAR incident, the offside rule. Not because of that particular game. Uh, by the way, England England pretty, you know, did very well, did as well as the men's team, got to a semi final. Of course, failed at the well, last. In, term, in terms of the results, yeah, they they if if he'd left the team as it was before, and he hadn't changed the um, changed their strategy, he'd probably probably well, it maybe he could have. He could have won. Yeah. But, I mean, but by bringing, was it Paris? Um, I can't remember. Inside to a position that she's not used to playing. In, when when all the attacking and all the width was outside, mm. where she'd been very successful in the World Cup so far, it, it made no sense to me to make tactical that change. Mis- tactical mistake. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people saying, you know, unlucky for England, because uh, in the other semi-final it was um, the Netherlands and Sweden, wasn't it? Yeah. And people saying that, you know, if England had come up against either of those, they'd have beaten them easily. Well, you don't the USA are a very good team. USA are a very good team. And the, the results they've had, you know, the, the goals for versus goals against has not reflected how superior they've been. Right. right. So you well know. done to them, despite yeah. their rather inappropriate goal celebration. VAR offside. Everybody thought that was a goal. Nobody protested, not from the USA team, not from the USA bench or trainers. Then it went to VAR. As it did. There's always a little break, isn't there, while they decide whether to do that or not. They went to VAR and it was decided that, the, what was it, a boot offside or something? Yeah, I mean, well, almost like her toe. Now, what's the purpose of, of the offside rule? It's to stop goal hanging, st- stop your yeah. attacker hanging around. That wasn't goal hanging. The, also, the rule, the law, the offside law states that the player must be clearly, clearly and offside. obviously offside. Well, she wasn't clearly and obviously offside. So why did they refer it to VAR? Now, I thought it was a very, very bad decision because I agree with you that you've got the defender and the attacker running towards the ball together. Mm. The attacker in a split second had a longer leg and a, f- a leg slightly yeah. further than the other one towards the ball or to into the penalty area. Yeah, but, but th- their legs are moving and it just happens that at that second her leg happened to be a bit in front of the other, you know. Yes, if, what if, if they their legs yeah. had been moving at the same time, it, you, obviously this is sort of like radio and you can't see it but I'm waggling my fingers like yes. two people's <laughs> legs. But if they'd been moving at the same time it wouldn't have been offside. Actually, yeah. their bodies are in exactly the same position true, in, either, in true. either case. The, the problem with the law is that they, they relate it to how far forward you are. If they did it with the back, it would be fairer. And, you know, I, Actually, I that makes sense. because I think they've got to look at that because the, the way they interpret the law and, and apply the law is not complying with the reason for having the law in the first place. No, I mean, it's an interesting point you make because it's like a photo finish at the yeah. races. The girl, the girl or woman, 
uh, the stride she was making that put her offside. If it had been the other way round and she'd had her leg back during the stride and they'd taken the yeah. photograph, then her leg wouldn't have been offside. Yeah, if her so. back leg had been in front of the other player's back leg, then yeah. she's clearly in front of her. So if they just switch that around, which is just a case of switching a few words in the law, you've got a better offside. But you've got to, what, what does the law say? And it says, if they are clearly and obviously in front. And she wasn't clearly and obviously in front. No, and also, I mean, when they, it's also the moment the ball is kicked. Yes. And they were sort of moving and moving and moving. You know, very unfair on England, but possibly on balance oh, of the game. I mean, the, the, the better team went through. Yeah, you the know, better team went America through. America were the best team yeah. in, in, in this World Cup. Absolutely. Good luck to them. Congratulations to uh, the Lionesses for getting so far and, and doing its proud because oh, it has brought yeah. women's football to the forefront absolutely, a little bit. Absolutely, right, yeah. Uh, very, I mean, you and I watched a little bit of that yeah. game and we've watched some other games. Thoroughly enjoyable. Proper, was, competitive, yeah. Yeah. Uh, professional sport. People should give it more time. Jeff, uh, what have you got for us next? Um, I was thinking about transfers. Yes, go on. Jao Felix. Yes, let's talk about that. Yeah, Jao Felix has, has just been transferred for £113 million. Pounds. £113 million. To Atletico Madrid. Wow. Which is uh, two things. One, it's a huge change in, in philosophy at Atletico Madrid because usually they buy cheap players from... Portugal and from South America, mm. develop them and sell them on for a fortune. 113 million for a teenager who's had one season in the Portuguese league. And I don't want to be rude about the Portuguese no, league, no, but, but it isn't one of the top four leagues. No, certainly he's got nothing on. But, you know, ev everyone, all the people involved with him are saying he is going to be the next big thing. No question at all. And, okay, so what, what's he actually done? He's the second highest goal-scoring teenager in the top five leagues in Europe. Impressive. Behind someone that I'd never heard of before, who plays for Bayer Leverkusen, 19-year-old German midfielder called Kai Havertz. So if Jao Felix is second behind him and he goes for 113 million... Wow. I think Bayer Leverkusen must have been very happy on that day. <laughs> so, but for, for England fans, João Felix is only behind Borussia Dortmund's England winner, Jadon Sancho, yeah, for, for key attacking passes and chances created. So how much is Sancho worth? Well, if he's got to be at least 150 then, surely. Yeah. Based on if yeah. putting statistics matching you up know, to price. You are talking about Ndombele to to Tottenham at 65 million and Jao Felix for 113 million to Atletico. You know, soon you start talking about real money, don't you? you know, yeah, I mean, who's making these prices up? Where do these prices come from? Well, it doesn't matter where they come from. Is, is anyone prepared to pay it? Now, Atletico Madrid are prepared to pay it. And that is a big change for them in what they're doing. However, I, I looked at their, if you like, their, their bank balance in this, in this transfer window. And they've sold Rodri for 62.6 million to Manchester City. Martins has gone to Monaco for 20 million. Diego Godin has gone on a free. Mm. I'm amazed no English team has taken him because he's fantastic. Two years, a fantastic centre back. He'd, he'd do brilliantly for you. And Lucas Hernandez, 68 million to Bayern Munich. So despite paying this 113 million, Atletico Madrid are their 7 million to the good at the moment. Despite that, wow. they bought Marcus Lorente from Brazil for 36 million and João Felix for 113 million, Felipe from Porto for 18 million. They're still 7 million 
to the good. And that's before they get any money for Griezmann, who is By completing his deal to Barcelona for the thick end of 100 million. So despite it being a change in their philosophy, it, they're still they're actually... They're still making money. They're still making money. Leon are, are in a very similar position. They've sold Felan Mendy for 44 million to Real Madrid. Uh, they've sold Ndombele for 56, rising to 65 million 65, to Tottenham. Yeah. They've replaced those two players. Thiago Mendes has come in. Yusuf Kone has come in. They're 70 million to the good. The question which keeps leaping into my head is why why are English clubs not doing what these two clubs are doing? Why do English clubs, why are Tottenham buying Ndombele two years after Leon bought him for nothing, pretty much, mm. and spending 65 million? Why are they going to that? And yeah. you know, doing what what Leon and and Atletico Madrid and uh, and other clubs are doing. And other clubs, yeah. I mean, Tottenham <clears throat> did that. I have done that. I mean. Deli Alley, five million. Absolutely, yeah. five million. But since then, I mean, they hardly transferred anybody. But yeah, exactly, but, but yeah. now suddenly breaking club records because sixty-five is a club record. Sixty-five million yeah. is a club record. But yeah, it does. There are players out there. There are scouts out there who are fly, finding yeah. these whiz kids or geniuses and you know young yeah. players for very very cheap. I and mean, we, you know, we've had a go at Chelsea about their thirty-three players out on loan, but they've been getting these players cheap. And mm. then sending them out on loan. They haven't been giving them a chance in the first team, yeah. and that's the problem with that. But they do have, uh, they do have a structure there to find the players. Yeah. Manchester United don't have a structure at all, and that's why they always have to pay over the odds to get players because they don't have a, a scouting. Other than you know, Jorge Mendes always used to be their scout in the past, yes. but now he's working with Wolves, not with Manchester United. So Wolves are getting all those players. They're getting the, the taste but, of it, and they're yeah. getting them on, on loan and 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 cheap deals, not expensive deals. But look at look at the free transfers that have happened. Diego Godin, one of the best central defenders in world football at the moment. He's gone on a free. Who else has gone on a free? Ramsey. Yes, left, now I wanted to bring Arsenal up that. on a free to Juventus. Rich club, Juventus, but they saw value and they saw it. Ramsey for nothing. Yes, please. There he is. Look, uh, £400,000 a week he's going to be paid. They yeah. can afford it, having got him for nothing. Exactly. Uh, he's the highest paid British player so far in history, if you like. Yeah. Good enough for Juventus, but somehow not good enough for Arsenal to, to offer him a contract I to know. keep him. I don't understand Arsenal's... You're talking about Manchester United uh, and other clubs don't, not having the right transfer policy and not bringing on young players and finding young players. But when you've got a player of that talent, albeit not that young, and Juventus are getting him for nothing, that says something, ri- something stinks in the state of Arsenal there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can only think something has happened behind the scenes that we don't know about. A, a ridiculous thing to allow to happen. But PSG have done the same with Rabiot. You know, if you remember four weeks, five weeks ago, newspapers all full of, oh, Rabiot to Man United, oh, he's a fantastic player, Rabiot, Man United, Man United. Mm. He's just gone on a free to Juventus. Does that say something about him or more likely it says something about Manchester United? Well, I think what it says about Manchester United is they're going to be playing in, in the Vars next year. Yes. Not in, in the Big Cup. So, the, you know, the, very, the best players want to play in the Champions League. Of course they do. And Rabiot is, is one of the best midfielders in Europe. Of course Absolutely. he wants to And be there's, there. there's Ramsey. He's going to be in the Champions League. Yeah. Uh, going to be playing alongside Renat. You can't blame him. He would have gone for 200 grand a week, I should think. You know, you can't blame him for, for going, of course, to Juventus. Champions League, playing alongside Ronaldo. Uh, and some other great players, of course, now. Yes, they've got a um, very good team. And to, to think, on their three in midfield, 
They just got two of them for nothing. That's good. Now, that is good business. Yeah. They know what they're doing. Let's have a, before we finish up, we're looking at, you know, we've looked at Arsenal and Manchester United struggling there in the transfer market and the reasons why. Uh, let's have a look at, because Newcastle, of course, as we mentioned in the last episode, have lost their manager, Benitez, who's gone to China, top Super League, Chinese Super League club there, which took me a little bit by surprise. I thought he still had something in him for, for the Western leagues, if you like, or the Euro- European leagues. Money behind that one? What, what, you think he went for the 12 million a year? Yeah, well, it might be that. What a cynic you are. <laughs> I am. A, <laughs> what a realist I am. Newcastle have just lost one of their top players. Well, Perez. Perez, who's gone to Leicester. For 30. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I think um, if I had any money, I might put a cheeky little bet on, on Newcastle to be relegated this season. I, I think that's a good shout, because if you look at their players, you go through player by player, that's a relegation side there. And, you know, I'm, I'm no great fan of Benitez, but you have to say he's done a fantastic job there yeah. at organising that yeah. team, which is the thing Benitez does. He organises very yeah. well, makes them very, very difficult to beat. And he, he did a great job. And I, I can well see them getting relegated. Yeah, I think he probably did a better job than many realised until he's left. And then, like you say, you look through the team, you look at how Ashley is re- running the club. I nearly said ruining, uh, running the club. Uh, you look at, you know, the players are now going to be leaving in droves, I think. I think there might be a little bit of an exodus happening there. Well, yeah, but someone has to want to buy them. And you look at those players and there isn't, you know. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. It's a very good Probably the only decent ones are already gone. Well, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's well, it's difficult. It's it's hard to say sometimes. Does the player look bad because he's in a bad team? You know, is he a good player in a bad team, or is he actually not a very good player? Yeah, maybe. So, you know, but we, good enough for Leicester. Know. Good enough for Leicester. Well, um, Brendan Rodgers is not a fool. Mm. You know, he's you know, so maybe that maybe you know, Perez has looked good when mm. when I've seen him play. I'm not sure I'd pay thirty million for him, but it's a strange market we live in, isn't it? So yes, it is. Uh, Leicester, Harry Maguire, United still sniffing around him, not getting anywhere. Well, United are doing what what um, what Arsenal used to do back in the day, which was to keep their fans happy. They'd be seen to be going in for everybody and then making yeah. making offers which they knew wouldn't be accepted, and then turn around and say, "Oh, you know, they're too greedy. They wouldn't accept their offer." Yeah. You know, if they want if they want Maguire, they know the price. Leicester have been very upfront about it, yeah. and they're not going to move from it. Um, yeah. He's he's tied down in a, a three-year deal. They don't have to sell him. They're happy. So Absolutely. if Man United really want him, they've got to pay for him. Absolutely. And before we just wrap it up, uh, because you are a West Ham fan, um, one of your outstanding players of last season, or last few seasons, uh, has made his second transfer request in the second window, because he did it in January, mm. done it now. Uh, and Altovich wants to go. He want, again. He wants to go to China as well. well good, you know. good for him. And and I hope West Ham sell him. And you know, it's fine. He, he he's at a stage in his career where he knows he's not going to win anything. He's got to be looking for his pension. So fine. That's what China's for. Good luck to him. Hope, so hope he does well. As a West Ham fan, you 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 think you can afford to let him go? I would rather have players playing for us who want to play for us. I think at the end, I mean, it's his second transfer request. I don't think there's yeah. any doubting he wants to go. Yeah, of course not. Talking of players who want to go, Steve Kenton is a uh, Carl of Carl and Kenners is an Arsenal fan. Zaha to Arsenal, is it going to happen? Well, I I don't understand how Arsenal can go anywhere from offering forty million, which is minimally half what Zaha's worth in the in the current market. Zaha's got to be worth you know eighty million plus. How can they move from forty million and get up to anything close to eighty? It's a very very low I mean, it's opening just, it bid. It was a, a, sort of like an insulting offer, wasn't it? It is. I mean, uh, th- what's the purpose behind that? 
I don't and, know. And remember that Crystal Palace have got to give, what, 25% of that to Man yes. United? To Man United, yeah. You know, it's, it's got to be a pretty decent fee. And so he uh, wants to go to Arsenal. He, well, of course he does. He, you know, he, he's, he's dragged Crystal Palace up from relegation every season. He's the reason that they have mm. not been relegated. And there comes a time where he actually wants to go and test himself against the very best in Europe. And see, yeah, that's why know, I say, why does he? Why does he want to go to Arsenal then? <laughs> I said he wants to test himself against the very. Oh best. right, not with, yes. Yeah, so he's going to be with Arsenal against. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, not, I'm not talking about the Dynamo Tiranas and all these no, you know, no. small teams. The Valencias of this oh, world. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, of course. Well, we shall see what happens. We, um, we will uh, report on that in the next podcast. But so there is one other thing that, yes. that uh, a quite me- momentous transfer happened yesterday, which nobody seems to have focused on at all. Thomas Callas, right. The Chelsea central defender was transferred to Bristol City. Thomas Callas was, until yesterday, Chelsea's longest-serving player. Wow. Current player. He was transferred to them in 2010. He's been there nine years. And when I say he's been there, I mean he's actually been to Vitesse Arnhem, FC Köln, Middlesbrough, Fulham and Bristol City (laughs) on loan since he was transferred. Nine years on loan. Nine years on loan. And he's now left finally left Chelsea. To go to Bristol City. Wow. I mean, we their said longest that serving player. We said that Chelsea have a lot of players out on loan. He's yeah. their longest serving ever player. Yeah. No, not ever, but not ever, but yeah, yeah. currently. Uh, but nine years with Chelsea. Yeah, did he actually ever actually played for I think Chelsea? He played four times. Yeah, that must be a very very strange feeling for him. Yeah, and and he's the centre back of Czech Republic in their in their team. Plays every international for them. So he's, he's a, a good decent player. player. Good player. Yeah. yeah. What a, str- a very very strange career for him. Yeah. Before we finish, Jeff, what is it? What was the the trivia question? Well, the tri- the trivia question was: Adam Traore scored for Marley against Mauritania in their four-one win, and he scored in the fifty-fifth minute. He was substituted not long after that. The fourth goal for Marley was also scored by Adam Traore. It's very strange. So, how is that possible? And the answer is, and it's a pure logic answer: the substitute was also called Adam Traore. So Traore substituted. Traore, yeah. They both had the same name. And there are in the in the European leagues at the moment. There are four Adam Traores all playing. And there's a lot of Dembeles as well. There are five Dembeles. Five yeah. is it? And yeah. and now an Ndombele. Uh, yeah. yeah, close. Yeah, so, close. But no. So could you make a whole team out of Traores and Dembeles? <laughs> I'd like to see that. That yeah. would be very interesting. Uh, that's all we've got time for. Thank you very much to Jeff Saunders. You're welcome. Steve Kenners on his way back from Baku allegedly uh, will be joining us next week. Thank you to Stuart Hill Exclusive Wines, My Taxi, Taxi Point, and Our Bar for all the love and support that you give us. Uh, you can catch us on Spotify on uh, iTunes and all the other platforms that support podcasts. Also, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Carl and Kenners with a capital K and a capital K. Thank you so much for listening. Join us next time. You're listening to Carl and Kenners hitting the bar for your weekly football news, for all of your football views. And yes, that football banter. One a Tottenham supporter, the other an Arsenal supporter. All here on Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar.